Psalm 19. We will not be reading the entire psalm. Psalm 19, 1 through 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the Torah of Adonai. Happy are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart, who also do no injustice, but walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways were steadfast to observe your decrees. Then I would not be ashamed when I consider all your misfolks. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous judgments. I will observe your statutes. Never abandon me utterly. Thank you, Tracy. Very familiar psalm, I'm sure, to many of us. I remember as, as a youth back in the dim and distant past when the dinosaurs were still roaming the earth, memorizing some of these verses. It's particularly special to me. And in a moment or so we'll dive into it. But first of all, I wanted to take a few minutes and give a bit of a perspective uh, about some Torah because I know we have um, a variety of different folks here and I'd like to take a moment or so to bring, hopefully bring all of us up to speed. Uh, Simchat Torah, as you may know, means rejoicing in the Torah. And by the way, that does not mean happy, 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 happy. It's such a, um, in my humble opinion, it's such a poor translation. Uh, to, to equate joy with happiness because as you may know happiness is very transitory it's something that's very uh, circumstantially based in other words things are going well you're happy uh, things are not going well you are not you are unhappy uh, but joy is something that transcends circumstances uh, typically joy is something that is related to who, who we are internally and particularly our relationship with God and so simcha is rejoicing it's a choice uh, it's a commitment and Torah uh, in a traditional Jewish community is you can say it's almost like an icon uh, it's a visible reminder of God's presence, um, that His Word is all-powerful. And you may know that in the first century, uh, the Torah was read probably on a triennial cycle. In other words, it took three years to go through the Torah. Uh, at some point in history, we're not positive. Uh, it changed, and so the reading of the Torah the, the cycle of the reading of the Torah had become annual, so we celebrate the completion of the reading of the Torah, and there's great joy in it. Um, and if you come from a, a non-Jewish background, you might have looked at Simchat Torah a little bit in confusion, uh, because over the last couple of thousand years, um, the church often, and I realize this is a general statement, but the church has often tended to be antinomian 
which means anti-law or anti-Torah. In fact, there was one one uh, heretic actually named Marcion who looked at at scripture and then proceeded to chop out anything and everything that looked Jewish and of course the five books of Moses were right up there at the top. Um, no one is like Marcion these days, but there is Marcion-like inclination in that often uh, folks who are followers of Yeshua, uh, Jesus, are often inclined to be dismissive of the Torah. And it takes a couple of forms. One is, uh, and by the way, remember that the best lie has an element of truth. So the truth is that Messiah Yeshua came and he said, I've not come to abolish but to fulfill. In other words, to bring uh, the righteous requirement of God in the Torah to fullness. He did that. But people erroneously then come away feeling like since he did that, then the Torah is essentially irrelevant. There's no need to study it. And I've actually heard people say that anything and everything that's significant for us who are followers of Yeshua uh, is stated in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. So by implication that means that we really don't have to bother about these dusty, this dusty code of law called the Torah uh, that is not, not really user-friendly. You know, it's not something you want to curl up and go to bed with at night. Uh, especially the portion to speak about uh, ritual cleansing and what do you do if someone has skin disease and so on and so forth. Um, however, we forget one basic reality, folks, is that God's revelation to humanity is progressive, which means what He does is based on previous revelation. I mean, it's somewhat like mathematics, that if you don't understand arithmetic, you can't go on to um, differential equations and calculus. And sometimes folks think that they can do that, and so they, they read what, the, what is stated in the New Testament without really having much of a clue, uh, much of a perspective where it came from. So, for us in Yeshua Tzion, uh, we see the Torah, the five books of Moses, and the law of Moses uh, as a gift from God. Uh, it was designed to take a nation of slaves and transform them into a nation of priests. And it's my impression, folks, that today there's a great need to take a society that is lawless and transform it into a society of those who are priests, in other words, who are representatives of God. So we consider the Torah to be very precious, and the word that's often used in, in the English Bible, law, is, is really insufficient. Unfortunately, it came from the Greek translation, the original translation, the Septuagint, that took the word Torah and rendered it as nomos, which means law. But if you have read the five books of Moses, you know that it is so much more than laws. Um, it is God's instruction 
In fact, the, the word Torah comes from the Hebrew verb yara, uh, which has the sense of instruct. So, for example, Psalm 25 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore, he instructs sinners in his way. A very clear statement that tells us that since God is who he is, i.e., he is upright, there's no monkey business with him, then by definition he instructs people of the ways that he has designed for them, i.e. he gives them the Torah. So for us the Torah is extremely significant to defining who we are uh, because it lays out God's standards for righteousness and holiness. And if you don't understand what is stated in, in the Torah and the Law of Moses, guarantee you really will not fully understand what is mentioned throughout Scripture, the prophets, and including in, in the New Testament as well. Um, let me read to you a statement from Paul, who is often described as the Apostle of Freedom, you know. Um, when Paul came, then he told everybody they could do whatever they wanted to do. It was all good. Um, however, this is what Paul has to say. The righteous requirements of the Torah might be fully met in us who live not according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. In other words, there is no division, there's no gulf between living according to the Torah and living according to the Spirit of God. In fact, they're both uh, inextricably wedded uh, since the Torah was given to us by the Spirit of God. And for us who are followers of Yeshua, there's absolutely no way that we can follow it other than to be led and empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Amen. And unfortunately, much of traditional Judaism, and here is where the divide comes. You have the church that is committed to um, to the Spirit of God and, and living according to Messiah by the Spirit, and then you have the traditional synagogue that is committed to the Torah without the Spirit of God because traditional Judaism, for the most part, uh, states that uh, that the Spirit of God is no longer active in Judaism. That the Holy Spirit will once again be active at some point in the Messianic era, but that the Holy Spirit is no longer active. And so we are sort of between both of those, and, and we give the traditional Jewish response of both and. You don't have to have either or, you have to have both and. And so... People often, for example, think of David um, as Mr. Passion, you know, a regular passion fruit because he danced before God to such an extent that his outer garments came off and, and his wife looked at him and said, you're making an idiot of yourself. And God didn't think too well of her comment. But we assume that since David was so committed to, uh, to worship and exuberance, that he was disinterested in the Torah. Again, the dusty book of law. Uh, however, 
one of the verses we read today in the special reading states the following, the Torah of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. By them is your servant warned, and keep me that there is great reward. I don't know about you folks, I find myself very much, very much a person who is described by what David is saying. Uh, I feel very simple in a very complex and crazy society. I, for one, need God's Torah. And so if we understand what the Word of God tells us from cover to cover, we'll, we'll understand fully that without studying and digesting and applying the Word of God in the Torah, that our relationship with God is very deficient. In fact, our life is deficient. And this is a very complex and wonderful psalm. We don't know who the author is, other than to say he was very much of a uh, God-fearing, um, committed to following God's Word in the Torah. Um, it is fascinating to, to those those of us who read Hebrew because it's an acrostic. So you have eight verses with Hebrew letter Aleph. You have eight letters of the Hebrew uh, letter Bet and so on all the way through the end of the Hebrew alphabet. And so the portion that Tracy read to us is all, um, it, it all begins with the letter Aleph. Um, but as you read it, the one thing that jumped out at me was the fact that God sets the bar impossibly high. You know what I'm saying? Um, back again in my, uh, in my youth, I was an athlete, and I remember going to track meets and seeing these guys trying to jump the high, the, uh, high jumps. That was before the Fosbury flop. I don't know if you, if you have seen that. I, I could never quite get my arms around why a person would come up to the high jump bar and twist himself into a pretzel lotus position in order to get over it. In any event, um, as high as the bar is, God set it higher. And you say, God, this is not fair. I'm American. <laughs> You're not making things easy for us. And you know, if you think the Torah was difficult, read Yeshua's words carefully and you'll find that He makes the Torah even more difficult. Because He comes to these folks who are, who are full of themselves and who think, well, I'm, I'm a good Jew. I, uh, I at least keep the Big Ten. You know, I don't murder. I don't commit adultery. And in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5 to, to 7, Yeshua goes and demolishes that those strong men arguments. And He says, you think that you don't murder? Well, look at your heart and look and, and see your attitude. And what is your attitude? Do you ever feel like so-and-so made me so angry, I wanted to choke the living daylights out of me? I realize no one here has ever felt that, right? 
And when Yeshua is saying that when that takes place, the the, the initial uh, step in the process of actually killing somebody has already begun. And so God is not interested in you and I looking at His standards for holiness and lowering the bar and saying something like, I can get by with doing X or doing Y. But God is always looking for the absolute commitment on our part to do what is impossible, which I know doesn't make a whole lot of sense. However, we cannot take the attitude that says, I can't keep it, so why bother trying at all? And this is what you find throughout Scripture, including this psalm here, that tells us that God expects the absolute impossible from us. Why? To show us how much we need Him. Because if we felt that His standards were doable, then we would feel we really didn't need God for anything. We would just take the good book and do it as best as we can and the story. Unfortunately, that's the perspective for a lot of people. But the psalmist begin, begins by saying, Blessed are those who are blameless. And I, I don't know about you, I certainly don't put myself in that category of someone who's blameless. Um, you know, you start out well-intentioned and you get in the car and drive um, on I-25 or where, wherever it is you're coming from and your good intentions go out the window. Your blamelessness is gone within the flesh. Or you may get up in the morning and say, you know, I'm really not up to being blameless today, didn't sleep well, etc. But the psalmist is saying, even right from the get-go, blessed are those who are blameless, who follow God's Torah. So you don't have a separation between doing the law, doing the Torah on one hand, and on the other hand, having a, a passionate heart for God. The two go hand in hand. And by the way, if you know something about biblical poetry, Hebrew poetry, you know that this is, um, this is known as uh, parallelism. That you have a section that states, makes a statement, then you have another section that amplifies it or defines it. And that's basically what you see here. Uh, the person who is blameless is someone who seeks to follow God's instruction wholeheartedly. And not just casually, but that God's demand is sharpened. He says that we are expected to take proprietary concern for God's instruction. The, the Hebrew words that are used here several times have the sense of guarding or um, standing watch for God's instruction. You see, that's kind of strange. Well, it's language that takes us back to the Torah. Not great surprise. 
But in, in the book of Deuteronomy, we have this same kind of expression over and over and over and over again that speaks in Hebrew about guarding the law of God. And it basically means that God expects you and I to be uh, scrupulous and careful in how we keep His Word. In other words, that we don't have a casual kind of an attitude. Well, I'll do, I'll do this much if I, if I really feel like it. Uh, it's really not a commandment. It's a suggestion. And, you know, it's my impression, folks, that God tends to be somewhat narrow-minded. You know, He doesn't want to engage with us in a dialogue that says, um, here's my commandments, why don't you do as much as you can and don't worry about the rest. God is, is very uh, insistent and in requiring that we have a wholehearted attitude towards keeping His law. He's keeping, keeping his moral standards. And you know, one of the reasons why that's the case is for self-interest. Now, did you think about that? Part of the message here in this psalm and throughout the Torah, particularly in Deuteronomy, God says, here is the path that I've laid out for you, for your own best interest. Now, don't be stupid. Don't be foolish. Don't go off a cliff thinking that you know exactly where you need to go, but here's the path I've laid out for you, and this is what you need to do. Deuteronomy 532, 529, excuse me. Oh, that their hearts might would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commandments so that it might go well with them and their children forever. In other words, what God is saying is, look, I put this out for your best interest. And so, you want to live life that is secure, then make the determination that you're going to follow the ways that I've laid out for you. Be scrupulous and be careful in how you keep my commandments. And part of the picture here has to do with covenant, a covenant relationship. Now, in our culture, the notion of covenant doesn't make a whole lot of sense other than we think of those pesky organizations where you live in, in a certain covenant community that they tell you that you cannot paint your house pink or purple, but that you have to follow their particular code, and if you don't, they're going to call the city on you and so on and so forth. I, I know a number of our folks have broken their teeth because of covenant relationships. But that's not what the Word of God means when it speaks about covenant. It means a relationship that is serious because it's based on who God is, on His character, and His expectation that just as He makes promises that are unbreakable, He expects us who are in covenant relationship with Him to follow the covenant requirements that he gives us. And again, part of the absolute silliness, folks, is people then come to the New Covenant, the New Testament, and they say, Yeshua has fulfilled all of that, therefore we have no responsibility to worry about these dusty laws. And for those who think that way, 
Let me give you a little clue. Did you know that the New Testament had over a thousand different commandments? Commandments. Imperatives. As in, this is what you have to do. And so it reinforces the basic message that tells us, I am God and you are not. And when I tell you something, I expect you to take it seriously. Again, not something that goes down real well with our culture. Because we have the silly notion that with the coming of Yeshua, His death and resurrection, that what comes from God to us is in a form of ooey, gooey love. You know what I'm talking about? Or what has also been called cheap grace. And as you read Yeshua's instruction, what comes across very clearly is no nonsense expectation on His part to follow and obey the commandments that are part of the covenant relationship that we have with Him. Let me give you several statements that stipulate that. If you love me, if you love me, you'll do what? You will come and, and uh, tell me how cute and clever I am, right? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. John 14, 15. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love just as you have obeyed my Father's commands and remained in His love. John 15, 10. You are my friends, not if you tell me night and day that you are my friends and you stand and singing and bobbing, but you are my friends if you do what I command. Very much the same kind of an approach that you find spelled out all the way through Scripture going to Deuteronomy and earlier and in throughout, throughout Scripture. So the psalmist here in 119 puts it this way, Blessed are those who are blameless. As I mentioned earlier, blessed does not mean happy. In Hebrew, biblical Hebrew has a couple of words for blessed. One of them is the word that's used here, Ashrei. And if you ask Dr. Dallaire, she can give you a, a uh, volume of explanation. But my simple one is simply that I see this somewhat like God's people mover. You know, I, I, I spent some time in Israel and I go from one airport to the other airport to the other airport. And you know how it is you... You go from one terminal to the other terminal and, and you have these people movers. And without the people movers, you're, you're huffing and puffing, huffing and puffing. You get on the people movers and they tremendously accelerate your ability to go from A to Z and they make things a lot easier. So my point is, and that's a somewhat limited picture, but we, we take the initial steps to get on God's people mover. And He takes us where we need to be. And it's a blessing, it's a gift, and it's a joy. Because life is simplified. Not that it's 
a piece of cake from here from here on. <clears throat> but we have joy, we have balance in our life. We have God's shalom, peace and wholeness because of that. Amen. Blessed are those who are committed to pursuing God's standards for righteousness in the Torah. <clears throat> And as you can imagine, the writer of this song, uh, the poet, thinks about these things and then he wants to pull his hair out, in my case, not a whole lot to do. Um, and he says, you know, I wish that I would be right on the money all the time. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in a venue increase. He gets it. And the truth is, folks, there's nobody here who can stand up and say, I am perpetually 100% consistent in doing what it is that God wants me to do. Not a single soul here. And yet, he doesn't allow himself to, to sink into the swamp of self-pity. But he takes that as an opportunity to say, okay God, I, I, I mess up. I mess up. I, I don't do it consistently. But I'm going to praise you. Why? Because you know me, you know my stuff, and you love me, and you are committed to taking me from here to here on your people mover. He understands God's unbelievable love for him. Displayed in his life and for us who have the good book we can see how God's love has been displayed over thousands of years for the people of Israel. And through the sending of His Son, Yeshua, the Messiah. Now folks, I'll tell you, there's no way that you can look at the people of Israel, the Jewish people today, and say, we're Jewish people are around because we are resilient. And that's often the shtick that's, that's used by people. That we are resilient, you know. We we are sort of like the Timex walk. Watch, we take a licking and we keep on ticking. Uh, I'm a son of Holocaust survivor, and I'm well aware of the fact that we, who are Jews, are around because God's involvement with our people. Amen. We would long be gone if it weren't the case. And God's merciful love for us is also displayed in Yeshua's death and resurrection. Such an unbelievable statement. And Paul puts it this way. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how much more with him will he freely give us all things? Romans 8.32 so yes, we look at God's standards for holiness and righteousness. And we're painfully aware of the fact that we, we, don't, we don't get it. We don't measure up. And furthermore, we live in a society that, is, that, that seems to exalt defilement and godlessness. And you can get bent out of shape because you look and, and see what's going on. And I want to conclude with this story 
had a conversation with my daughter uh, earlier this week. She was very distressed about what was going on in Las Vegas. And uh, she was hearing people talk about, well, you have to have gun control. No, you can't have gun control. You need to have people control, and on and on and on, back and forth and back and forth. And she finally, this was on the, um, the media, the media of all media, social media, Facebook, um, in which she finally said, what's going to happen? And uh, she finally came to the conclusion that this society needs to turn back to God. No, no argument for me on that, right? And uh, then I, being, being a Jewish father, and then I said to her, you know, you answer a question with another question. I said to her, well, what, what is that going to look like? And she said, well, it's a complex question. And I, I, said, I said to her, well, it's my conviction that society will change one person at a time. God will get a hold of one person and change them. And transform them. You know, we have not been given the authority of Lenin and Stalin, uh, those guys, thank God. And then she called me a day or so later and said, uh, you know, Dad, I had a conversation with God and I was real quiet and he told me that he told me the following. I love you, my child. And that at that point, I sensed the overwhelming presence of God wash over me. And at that point, I realized I really did not need any more complex answers to this, that, or the other. And I find myself very much in the same place, folks. God gives us laws and requirements that are impossible, that are way beyond us. The bar is set way beyond us, and we can either say, forget it, or we can try to minimize it and say, okay, well, let's, let's see what we can do to make it doable, or we can acknowledge reality as it is and say simply, God, there's no way I can do what it is you want, but I want to. Therefore, in order for that to take place, I'm going to need to have an extra dollar or two or ten or a thousand of your Holy Spirit, your Ruach HaKodesh. And I need that because I want to be like this man who is described here, who is blameless, who seeks God and who seeks to know His commandments, who seeks to know his standards of righteousness and knows that he is not capable of doing it, yet that's the direction he wants. And I believe that that's simply what God wants from each one of us, is to make that commitment say, God, my nose is pointing in the direction that you have laid out for me, in the path that you have laid out for me, in the, in the, the area of standards for righteousness, that you have called for me to walk. And that's where I want to be. I want to honor you. And I trust you. That you will love me even when I blow it. 
and you get me up and say, okay, let's get back on track. Blameless is a man or woman who's committed to doing God's Torah. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for your incredible mercy. Thank you, Lord God, that you know us intimately and you love us. And thank you, Lord, for your Torah. We celebrate, we rejoice in your good guide that you give us for living. Lord God, that is designed to bring us blessing and joy. Lord God, I pray for each one of us that you give us a passion for you, give us a passion, Lord God, to learn your word, to learn to apply it, and to learn to communicate it to others. We pray, Lord God, that your kingdom would expand in and through us. We ask all of this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.